If you've been to GRX before uh, and you've been here for a while, you've heard that one of the things that we're really trying to do here is to lead people to authentic faith in Jesus Christ. To lead people to authentic faith in Jesus Christ. And followers of Jesus Christ, that's really what it's about. That our entire lives, our whole existence, everything that we think about and everything, it falls under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not that the other things that we do in our lives, like our jobs or our families, our relationships, it's not that those things are unimportant. It's that all of those things get reframed under living an authentic faith, following Jesus Christ with our whole lives. To live authentically as a father, or to live authentically as a husband, to live authentically as a worker, to live authentic, my authentic faith gets expressed in all of these different places. The reason why I'm talking about that is because actually we're going to talk about worship today, but this is the definition that I'm wanting to uh, put out there for us today to be thinking about worship. That true worship is devotion of life, trust, and obedience to the true God. I'm going to say that again. True worship equals devotion of life, trust, and obedience to the true God. That true worship as followers of Jesus Christ means that everything in our life comes underneath Jesus Christ. And that's true worship. And that our worship is more than just what we do uh, on, on a Sunday when we're gathered here. That our very lives and how we live is actually an expression of our worship to God. Because everything that we have in our lives comes under a true devotion comes under an obedience and a trust in God. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more as we do this deeper dive into what it means to be the worshiping community today. Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3, it's going to be the text that we look at. It's talking about a community of faith in Antioch. And Antioch is what's uh, now in, a, in part of Turkey, in the southern part of Turkey. So it's in that Mediterranean area. And Antioch, uh, it's, it's interesting for a couple of different reasons. In Scripture, it tells us that the followers of Jesus Christ were first called Christians in Antioch. So it's significant for that. And also, um, they were a church. They, they weren't a big community, but they were a worshiping community. They were a generous community. They were a community that was seeking to live underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. And the way that you, you understand this with the Antioch community is in that time, in the first century, there was a famine going on in Jerusalem. And that was the main church. That was the main place where, where Christianity was. And in Jerusalem, there was a lot of hardship because of this famine. And the church in Jerusalem was really struggling. And so what you get is you get Antioch, which is this little church in southern Turkey. They hear about the distress that's going on in the Jerusalem church, and they take a collection. And they take up all that money, and then they send it with Barnabas. 
down to the church in Jerusalem for famine relief. So this is all, you kind of get all of this from the book of Acts, but this is what this little church in Antioch was like. It wasn't one of these big opulent churches like you would expect the church in Jerusalem to be. It was kind of like a little church. It was kind of like a, a sort of an outpost in a sense. But they were very generous and they were very worshipful and they were very led by the Holy Spirit. And so that's the church that we're going to look at. It's just going to be a few verses, but I give you that as the background because there's something really cool that happens in the church while they're worshiping. And that's what we're going to look at. Anyway, that's the background. That's what's going on at this church in Antioch. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch, okay, now he's going he's to talk about the leaders in this church in Antioch. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who's the Apostle Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. That's all the scripture that I want us to look at. It's just a small piece of scripture, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this. First of all, the thing I want to point out is that just this church of Antioch, small, generous, but it's also incredibly remarkable for who is actually listed here among their leadership. These are just some remarkable people. I want to open up the scripture to you a little bit. So there were in the church, there were prophets and there were teachers, people that spoke the word of God and people that taught the word of God. And then it begins to list some of these people. It's Barnabas, who was a Levite, and is from Cyprus. That's this one guy. Simeon, who was also called Niger. Now, Simeon is a Hebrew name, Simon. And also Niger, it means black, as in dark in color. And so when you get Simeon, Niger, and he's black in color, it's really interesting. John Stott has this really interesting insight. He thinks that this guy in Antioch is Simon of Cyrene. Simon, the Hebrew name, and then of Cyrene, African, because he's black. And he thinks, and it's a very interesting thing about this, that this would be the Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus Christ when Christ was on his way to Golgotha. So you've got Barnabas, you've got Simon of Cyrene, then you've got this guy, Lucius of Cyrene, so he's definitely from North Africa. You've definitely got an African now here in this, uh, uh, in this Antioch town in Turkey. Then you've got Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, who's Herod the Tetrarch? Herod the Tetrarch is the political leader of that area. And here in this, in this church, you've got someone who is connected to someone very powerful, politically, economically, 
because Herod the Tetrarch is the ruler over this whole region, this whole geographic region. So you've got someone that's got close connection with, um, with Herod. So Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who is the Apostle Paul, who is the one that's um, well-educated in the scriptures. But he is also in this church. So in this community of people, you have this incredible ethnic diversity. You've got this cultural diversity. You've even got this political diversity. But they're all here in this church. And what are they doing? You've got all these people, powerful, educated. They're worshiping and fasting together. They're worshiping and fasting together. All these people are together doing that. And while they're doing that, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God, Spirit speaks to them and gives them mission, gives them direction. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the people, for the work that I've called them to. And then after fasting and praying, they sent them off. Hear what I'm trying to get at with this passage. That true worship Here you have people in Antioch truly worshiping God and fasting. True worship is devotion of life, trust, and obedience to the true God. And as they're truly worshiping God, they hear from the Holy Spirit what they should do and how they should be, not only just as a community, but people in their community, what their calling is. And then they live into that. True worship draws us into that, that our whole lives come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Last week, if you were here and you remember, maybe you heard it on the podcast, I had people get into groups of four or five people and answer this question, what do people worship? What do people worship? If they don't worship the true God, what do people worship? And we came up with all kinds of things, career, politicians, athletes. Jeremy Lin got a lot of love last week. A lot of people are like Jeremy Lin, followers. And they talked about other stuff. They, they talk, people also mentioned programs in the church. Sometimes people worship ministries. There's other things too. Opinions. Sometimes people worship their own opinion, their own preference, right? We see that all the time. People worship their preferences, Kids, self-image, ego. I'm not talking about good or bad in terms of worship when we're bringing out all these things. What I was trying to draw out was ultimate worth. Not good or bad, ultimate worth. What is the thing that we worship that captivates our attention, our devotion? What is the thing that captivates our obedience Above all else, the only thing that's worth all of that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the rock. Everything else is shifting sand. Everything else is shifting sand. There are good things, but everything else is shifting sand. It doesn't, it it will not satisfy us to place our true worship our true devotion, our true reliance, everything on any of those other things that we named. Only Jesus Christ. 
Everything else is temporal. Everything else is fleeting. It won't satisfy our ultimate needs. Every human being has ultimate needs for purpose, for connection, for relationship, for security, for assurance, for self-worth, even for salvation. Every human being has that. You guys are human. You guys know that. You guys know that's to be true. And we see in the world people trying to fill all of those places of need with all kinds of things. It's different expressions of worship. But only Jesus Christ will fill all of those things. Only Jesus Christ will save us. And that's why true worship is devotion of life, trust, and obedience to the true God. Because everything else that we worship, everything else that we put first, will fail us. And this is what we see at the community in Antioch. That they are worshiping God above all else. They are drawn into this relationship with the Holy Spirit because they are fully committing themselves to God. And then God's Holy Spirit says to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I'm going to show them, for the work which I'll call them to. Last week I spoke about the word come. Come and worship the Lord out of Psalm 95. I want to draw back to that because worship above everything else is a relationship. It's a relationship between us and God. Worship is not a show. Worship is not a performance. Worship is about coming and being in relationship with God. And that's what the invitation for worship is. And a relationship is two-way. It's both speaking and listening. God wants to hear your deepest heart, your deepest desires, your deepest longings, your deepest fears. God wants to hear that. God wants to hear from us that communication in worship and in prayer. But let me ask you this. God wants to hear your deepest heart. Do you want to hear God's deepest heart? Do you want to hear what God is wanting to say to you? Because that's what true worship opens up for us. True worship says, all right, God, I'm going to trust you with my whole life. I'm going to be obedient to you with my whole life. I love you with my whole life. Here are all my deepest concerns, my deepest fears, my deepest loves, my deepest hopes. And what are yours? It's invitation to relationship so that it goes two ways. And that's what we see in the worshiping community in Antioch. Not only are they worshiping God, but they also hear from God's Holy Spirit. They hear a word from God that gives them direction. It's an invitation to relationship. And they hear from God, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. Set them apart. In worship, worship is not just singing songs. 
worship also draws us into action because worship drew the Antioch church into action for these guys to get involved in a missional journey that God is going to show them. Worship actually involves not just singing, not just what we do here, but our whole lives. The actions, the choices that we make, the decisions that we make, the ways that we respond to other people, the way that we see them. The point that I was making right from the very beginning, that true worship is devotion of life, trust, and obedience to God. It takes in all of our activities, all of our actions. It's our very lives are an expression of worship. Dallas Willard, a famous Christian author, he kind of jokes, um, there's this song that Christians from the 70s like to sing. It's called, Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God. And uh, if you've been around the church a long time, maybe you've heard one of these, it's a throwback song. Um, I think I was in junior high at a camp when I heard this song. But Dallas Willard jokes and he says, seeking first the kingdom of God does not mean sitting around singing the song, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seeking first the kingdom of God means action, activity, that our very lives are an expression of worship. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to, holy and acceptable to God, which, get this, is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. <clears throat> Colossians 3.17 says this, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, worship to God the Father through him. In everything, in word and deed, do everything. It's in worship, giving thanks. True worship is devotion of life, trust, and obedience to the true God. Hey, let me just say something very briefly here that we also learn about worship um, from the Antioch Church. And it's a word that doesn't actually show up very much in our culture. Fasting. I'm going to share something a little bit about fasting. There's a practice within the Christian community, followers of Jesus Christ, all through the centuries, but we've lost it a little bit. But it's fasting. And you might think, oh my gosh, that sounds like such a bummer. Fasting. Like, why would I do that? If you fast just for the sake of fasting, yeah, it's a total bummer. (laughs) It's just like, you're going to get like, so then basically fasting is just like, hey, I'm I'm not going to eat food for 24 hours. I'm going to drink water, but I'm not going to eat food. And this is what happens if you just fast for the sake of fasting. You just go, Oh, man, okay, I'm okay at breakfast. I'm not going to eat anything. I'll just, you know, drink a little water. Okay, by lunchtime, your stomach is all like, you're like, come on, I live in the Bay Area. I don't have to deny myself of anything. 
Why am I doing this? Oh, I'm doing this just for the sake of fasting. Just to fast. And about that time, you start going, oh, man. How far away is that in and out? I'm going to, you know. And he gets all grumbly. And then you're, you know, and then, and then you just get kind of frustrated and you get kind of angry. And then you're just not very nice to be around. And then by evening, you're super crabby. And you're like yelling at people. And they're like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm fasting. Because you're just so hungry. Okay, that's fasting for the sake of fasting. It's like, that's totally pointless. Don't do that. So why would you fast? If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, or why did the Antioch church fast? You fast in order to practice restraint. In order to be more in tune with God. You actually fast and it's an expression of worship. The power of fasting is actually to reveal to yourself and to trust in God that the things that we say that we think we need, actually we can release on and trust God for. There are things in our lives that have an inordinate power over us. I mean, just think about an In-N-Out hamburger for just a second. This actually might not be very helpful for people if you didn't eat breakfast because you're totally lost with the message. You're just thinking about that. But just think about an In-N-Out hamburger for a second. What power does that burger have? It, it doesn't really have a lot of bur- uh, it doesn't really have a lot of power, right? It just sits there. It's just bread and some cheese and a hamburger patty and some tomatoes and lettuce. It just sits there. It doesn't have any power. But if your desire is for appetite, that little hamburger will begin to exert all kinds of power over you. If you're hungry right now, that little hamburger that I just described is now at war in your mind between thinking about the words I'm saying and you thinking about, I wonder when he's going to be done yammering on so I can go get an in hamburger. <laughs> right? That little patty is now battling with me. I'm a live person up here using hand gestures to see if you guys are still awake listening to me. And that burger isn't even here in the room, but it's beginning to exert a power over you. That's what I'm talking about. There are all kinds of things in our culture because of our desire that exercise inordinate power over us beyond what it is. And you can name anything We can name fun things like hamburgers and dark chocolate. We can name more serious things like drugs that people are addicted to, pornography, alcohol, these things that are just these inanimate objects, but all of a sudden they have power over us that we give ourselves to. You might even say we worship, we bend our will to get, right? There are all kinds of things out there that exercise inordinate amount of control over us. What fasting does is fasting by abstaining from that particular thing for, say, a 24-hour period, a set amount of time. You say, that thing will not control me. 
I will not be devoted to that thing. I will not be enslaved by that thing. I will not worship that thing. Instead, I will worship the true God and be devoted to Jesus Christ and give my life in submission and surrender to him and not to this thing. And that's the power of fasting. So when we fast as followers of Jesus Christ, when we set aside, say, a fast for 24 hours, what happens is when our body begins to crave that thing that we're abstaining from, it's at that moment that we say, oh, this is the moment. This is the exercise. This will make me spiritually stronger. I feel that hunger and we allow that hunger to turn ourselves and our attention back to Jesus. We use that desire and we say, Jesus, let me turn my desire back to you. And then with that, our attention back to Christ, our worship back to Christ, it opens up all kinds of things. It opens up gratitude. God, thank you that I live in a place where food is available. Thank you, God, for the provision of food. Thank you, God, for the provision of water, for electricity, for the home that I'm in. Thank you, God, for this place. And it also moves us into a place of longing. God, I'm hungry for this thing. What does it reveal about my life? What does it reveal about any other spaces in my life that I try to fill with other things and not you? God, I confess to you that I've placed my desires and my hopes in other places and not you. And God, thank you that you've given me this hunger to remind me that my deepest hunger and my deepest satisfaction is ultimately found in you. See, fasting is not fasting for the sake of depravity. Fasting is for the sake of deepening our worship and our relationship with God. Jesus talks about fasting like this. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Right? What does that reveal? I'm fasting, I want to be seen by others. It's because I want people to think well of me because I worship my ego. I worship the opinion of others. Jesus, when you fast, don't do that. Don't like spread it around. Don't say that you're fasting, that their fasting might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Don't do that. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, the first century equivalent of saying just take a shower comb your hair get dressed do all that do all that that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you this comes all out of matthew 6 and right before this jesus says something else about this intimate connection intimate relationship with god He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Intimate relationship with Jesus. Fasting, in prayer, and in worship. It's not a show. Worship is not a show. God is not interested in a performance. God is interested in you. God is interested in you, in being in relationship with you, in being in relationship with us as a community. And that's why I shared last week that worship is an invitation. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Come into God's presence in worship and in prayer, with fasting, that will draw us into a space where we commune with God, where we're in relationship with God, where we speak and where we listen, where we give and where we receive. This is the true worship that I'm talking about here. This is a deeper dive into what true worship is. True worship is the devotion of our life and our trust and obedience to the true God. And it's not just here on Sunday. Our true worship is expressed everywhere, every day of the week, in how we live. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this community that every Sunday we have the privilege to come and worship you to sing songs about you, to affirm what's true about you, to be before scripture and to see what the early church was doing and then to also try to pick up something that we might be able to bring into our life here. God, I thank you that you love us and that you call us into relationship with yourself. God, thank you that you are a God who both knows us and a God who can be known. Thank you that you are a God that we can speak to and that you are a God who also speaks to us. God, I confess that there's a lot of stuff out there that blocks us. Not just blocks us from worship, but blocks us from truly hearing you. We have appetites. We have addictions. We have insecurities and fears that often consume us, that we often bow down to. And so, God, I pray that we might be able to release all of those things, confess those things, God, to you, and come again to you and say, God, we want to worship you in spirit and truth. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Bring your conviction. Bring your love. Bring your assurance that you know us and that you love us. God, we want to be in relationship with you. Help us to be open to all that you want to share and say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.